Hey, dear listener, Anthony here. Before we hop into the show, I wanted to let you know about an incredible new resource we just released, The Five Rules of Investing. Dan and I are huge advocates of modeling the behaviors of the people who have done what you hope to do. And who better to model when it comes to investing than legendary investors like Warren Buffett, Howard Marks, and Ray Dalio? This free ebook breaks down the simple time-tested strategies of billionaire real estate investors that you can use to take your investing to the next level. So head over to InvictusMultifamily.com and grab your ebook today. All right, now let's hop into the show. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, dang. That was, that was delayed. You like that? I, I, the listeners at home are like, I have no clue what just happened. If you're watching, yeah. I mean, if you're watching on YouTube, you saw something building. A lot then, of suspense. Yeah, it's that weird. So. Yes. I, so on a previous episode, I must have been, I had some kind of visual, a piece of paper or something I was holding up. And I made, an, I said something to the listeners like, you know, if you're listening, you're not going to be able to see this, obviously, because you're listening to a podcast. And a listener who watches the YouTube channel commented and he's like, he's like, I saw it. And he was very proud of the fact that he saw it. So shout out to, I think it was Edwin. Shout out to Edwin. Yeah, you listeners don't realize this, but there's a whole bunch of really weird, sometimes disturbing visual <laughs> stimuli on this podcast. So check it out on YouTube. When you're, saying, when you're saying like disturbing, you're really talking about the days I wear shorts, right? Yeah, your calves. Yeah, I, get, I, I gotcha. Yeah, yeah. It is a lot to handle. But uh, you know what else is a lot to handle? In-house property management. Look at that. Man, look, look at that, that segue. segue. That was good. Oof. Okay, so in this episode, we're going to talk about in-house property management. It's one of the, the questions, regardless of where you are in your journey, like you'll have to answer for yourself if you're an operator. If you're a passive investor, it's helpful to know, you know, do your GPs have in-house management or are they outsourcing it? And that's kind of like a really open-ended question when somebody says, hey, we have in-house management. It can mean a whole lot of things. And so today we're going to talk through some of the different nuances of what that looks like and then maybe think through some aspects of property management that are worth having in-house, what are worth outsourcing, so you can kind of like walk that, that plank. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of like saying you're a consultant. It's like I, okay. I have no clue what that means. Keep going. Um, but yeah, so we've been in-house, well, I should say the first six, nine months of my first property, I tried to outsource uh, management to third party and realized that with kind of the value add business model and, and just what we do here, it, it, it didn't make sense. You know, you're never going to get what you need for 6%, a 6% management fee if you're doing those types of properties. So we went in-house real early and a lot of people ask why. Um, usually early on, it's not financially, um, doesn't seem financially efficient mm-hmm. and it's, where all the headaches are and it's where like all the work is. So most, most of the time people are like, why do you do that? Well, the answer is pretty simple. Once you get to a certain point, uh, you actually end up getting a much higher quality product, i.e. The, the, the management service, the residence becomes a much better quality and you are gonna be able to get that at effectively um, wholesale pricing as opposed to paying a third-party property management company who needs to do all these things and make a profit. So that's kind of the original kind of impetus was like, let's get the wholesale pricing on this and make sure that that service that we're delivering to residents is as superb as possible. So that's that's why we do it. But And two, two things real quickly to unpack on that one. You said wholesale pricing so that we're not getting a profit. This is really important to understand. Like if you're going to go the in-house route, one of the, the beauties of it is that you can control your expenses mm. and you can 
you know, run at a lower price point than you would if you're outsourcing. The reason is the the person that you're outsourcing it to, they're not just going to do the work at cost. They want to make some profit, right? Now, if you bring it in house, you don't need to make a profit on it. You can just run it at cost. And that's really beneficial because for every dollar of value you're able to leave in the building, you get the multiplicative effect of the cap rate when you go to refinance it or you go to sell it, right? So one dollar left in the building of profit at a six cap is like 15, $20 of yeah. downstream valuation. And so that's one of the really beautiful things that you can do in that. that yeah. Equation. Multiplicative. Good word. It's good. Word. Um, but I think that's a concept too, that, 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 that uh, people don't really get because I get the question a lot. Like, yeah, you guys do in-house property management and you say you do it at, you know, break even just covering your overhead, but like, why, why wouldn't you make a yeah. profit? It's like, no, we actually, as we're, we're owners as well, obviously, and we make more money lowering that operating expense line as much as possible. So the value of the building is higher. So if you're an owner, you're very much incentivized to manage at mm -hmm. your costs. Whereas if you're a third party, you don't care what the building's worth. Yeah. You want to try to fee everything you can. So anyways, the point of this is like, what does that actually mean in-house management? Does that mean we do every single thing? Yeah, we're Not going really. in there, we're doing the like the unit turns, the flooring, the painting, the electrical, the everything. Yeah. Snow removal, landscaping, all of it. No, no. we don't do all the things. Not necessarily all of no. it. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of things. Usually what it comes down to is, is it efficient for us to do it? Or is it more efficient for somebody else? So a lot of people, uh, one of the very common things I see other guys like us doing is having the painting in-house. We actually, no, we, we vendor that out. We've got mm -hmm. a really great vendor. We've got really good pricing with them because he gets volume through us. And so that's one thing we, we vendor out, carpet as well. Now, um, uh, vinyl flooring, like that we'll do in-house. Carpet, paint, most electrical stuff gets vendored out, the majority of it, because you kind of need uh, to have an electrician do a lot of that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, I think a lot of people are actually surprised that we vendor out uh, the painting and, and the carpet. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. So like leasing and management, that stuff we keep in house. But if you think about like, if you're outsourcing to a third party manager, they're probably not doing that stuff in house. They don't have a team doing that. They're probably outsourcing that to a vendor as well. And, and so you're really, yeah, exactly. So, and you're getting upcharged. So you're, you're paying a middleman to get another person to do the job for you. Whereas in our equation, it's just our person is getting the vendor vendor. And so we can do that still at lower cost mm -hmm. than if we we're going to a different company. And the big part is they're all the same vendors, right? So we get really good systems worked out with all these vendors so that we can turn a unit in 24 hours, right? So that's getting our guys lined up for like the maintenance and repairs. If we need carpet, that guy already knows weeks ahead of time. The painter knows, the cleaners know. They all know when it's going to happen, when this resident leaves and from when they leave until when the next person comes in the next day, we can get a unit completely turned because those vendors, they know that they know the routine that the same guys over and over again. And mm -hmm. it's, it's a good system. So that's kind of the perk is you don't necessarily need to have all those heads in house, just sitting there wasting time throughout the month. You just pull them in right when you need them, pay them for the day or whatever, and you move on. Yeah. And, and this is, I think the question that you have to answer as you're going like navigating this route of like, do you want to be in-house? Isn't whether or not you are in-house or not, it's to what degree are you in-house? It's a spectrum. And you can really put, push that and pull it um, all across. And we've tried it in different ways. Like, you know, before we went live, you were talking about snow removal. That's something that we used to have on the slider on the side of in-house. We have the trucks. We have the machines. We can do that. However, after having done it for a winter, you realize, okay, this is actually very operationally complex. Mm -hmm. And it's really not worth our team's time and energy to do that. And it's not worth having somebody on the team just for that. So... Yeah, yeah. You take it off the spectrum. Yeah, and on that topic, on the on the snow removal, this probably doesn't apply to you if you live in Florida. You could care less. But if you're in a, an area where it snows, 
you've kind of got two different things throughout the year. In the summer months, you're going to have to take care of your lawn, have the lawn mowed. And then in the winter months, there's going to be, that's going to be replaced with snow removal. So if you're going to do one of those, you kind of need to do both. Otherwise, you're going to have a big spike in your labor needs during one season and then that drop off. So, yeah, you could try to hire seasonal people, but it's really more of like an all or nothing thing where if you're going to do that stuff, you're going to want the same staff that's doing the snow removal in the winter to be doing lawn care in the summer. But really with the snow removal, what we found is that it's just so sporadic. You need really good systems in place to just jump on it and get to it right when it happens. And that's a lot different than lawn care. Lawn care, you, you mow the lawn Consistent. twice a week. It's just a, it. it just keeps happening on the same cadence. Snow removal, it's like you might have just a blizzard that hits and then nothing. So it's these sporadic needs for, for the labor. And if you don't have a really good logistical system to handle that, it could be quite stressful, which it was last year. So we gave it a shot, and then we decided, you know what, this one's a better one for a vendor. Maybe here in the near future we could do the lawn care. Um, I could see that happening, but... Um, just because of the simplicity of the schedule, but mm -hmm. the snow removal, that's a whole nother animal. Do you think on the, on the slider of, um, if it's consistent versus sporadic, like, would you say if it's a, if it's a sporadic need, you're better off usually just subletting that when it comes up? Almost always. Or yeah. would it be the consistent side where you're like, oh, I consistently know I need that painter to go in there and do that thing. What do you think? I think it's, for me, it's mostly the consistency because yeah. you, the, the thing you don't want is to go fire, hire a full-time employee and then have them sit there warm on the bench all yeah. the time because you have to keep paying them. So some of this stuff, in, in back in the day, that was a strong argument for even outsourcing a lot of our renovations because, yeah, we might have a big flood of renos here for a few months, but you know when those start to dry up... Um, People are going to get bored. You still have to pay them. Still have to pay them. So yeah, it may be more expensive on an hourly basis to have a contractor come in and do a reno for you, but you don't have to keep paying that guy after the job's done. So ends up being cheaper in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, I think you need to be, unless you are at such a scale where you have so much work and demand for your team. Like this is the problem with construction is that you need to have like a pretty big crew to be able to handle like any kind of sizable construction job. And yet, if you have any kind of variability in the workflow, and then you just have like a really large workforce sitting vacant. And so that's why mm -hmm. I was uh, surprised that in a lot of cases with construction, it's it's really on like a subcontractor relationship. Yep. Like nobody's really keeping a team of like 100 exactly. guys ready to go at a time. Um, and that was really eye-opening to me when like learning that. I was like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. And so you really want to try and run your property management as lean as possible. Yeah, and I, I should clarify that everything we're saying here is what makes sense for like 500 to 1,000 units, right? Yep, that's From 1,000 to 2,000, it's probably going to be a little bit different. And if you're like 5,000 to 10,000, totally different story. If you're totally. Ken McElroy, you probably have like everything in-house because there's yep. always going to be a need there's somewhere something. for something. Yep. But at our size, this is kind of the, the mix that seems to make the most sense. We have quick turns. We have occupancy high. Our payroll isn't blowing anything up right now. So I feel like we're at a really good spot just from like an overhead perspective. And mm -hmm. the other, the work. other thing probably worth mentioning there too, is our business plan doesn't necessitate us going in and doing renovations in the first six months. Like right. We're not trying to get in there and turn the, the building as quickly as possible. We usually take more of like a three year approach to it. And so we don't need to have massive flex capacity to be able to go and, and turn a hundred units in a month. Like, yeah, we're not buying distress. That's, we're that's buying not stuff where plan. yeah, there's some upside to to make some renovations. However, um, a lot of stuff we've been buying has just been under rented by the previous owners, right? So you know we can get a nice rent bump on a lot of these units just by increasing rents. We don't need to go in and 
completely demolish things down at the studs. Mm-hmm. So that's that's everything. I don't know if it's uh, maybe it's not everything, but those are some things to think about. That um, if you're just starting and you're really trying to answer that question, should I be in house or should I outsource it? Um, also, something to think about there is that you need to be kind of a control freak and be like kind of involved if that's the route that you want to go. And if that's not you, if you're trying to get into real estate because it's kind of passive, and it can be, it just depends on how passive, how much control you want to give up. You can't be passive and maintain control. Maybe that this isn't the path for you, but um, if it is, then yeah, do it. It's, it's, it's a thing. Godspeed. Yeah. Good luck. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of Multifamily Investing Made Simple. If you enjoyed the show, could you do us a massive favor? Head over to iTunes and leave a five-star rating and review. Your feedback, it means the world to us as it helps us grow and spread the word about multifamily investing. And don't forget, sharing is caring. So fire this episode over to any friends or family who you think could benefit from learning all about multifamily investing. Thanks, guys. We appreciate every single one of you, and we'll see you on the next show.